0: Welcome to Health Talks Now, bringing you the facts you need to keep you and your family well. We're happy you're tuning in today. Baptist Health is committed to providing compassionate, high quality care that is centered on you. Listen to all of our podcasts to hear from Baptist Health physicians about the latest medical advancements and treatments, and get trusted information on timely health topics from our healthcare professionals. Whether you want to learn more about a specific condition or procedure or find tips for living a healthy lifestyle, Baptist Health is here to help you become a healthier you. Welcome back to another
1: episode of Health Talks Now. I'm your host, Carrie Miller, in the studio with co host Kendra Barnes. We're joined on the phone today with a special guest, Dr. John White, with Baptist Health Medical Group pulmonary and critical care medicine for an important conversation that affects us all sleep Dr. White specializes in a variety of sleep and breathing disorders including insomnia narcolepsy obstructive sleep apnea and parasomnia Thank you for joining us Dr. White
2: Thank you for having me
3: Before we get into some common sleep disorders and their impacts on listeners can you walk us through the patient journey into the Baptist Health Sleep Center At what point do you typically see patients turn to professional help?
2: Well, most of the patients that we get at at the sleep center are referred from primary care, although there are certain specialties that uh, refer um, quite a few, particularly cardiology, because a lot of cardiology problems can be associated with sleep problems, too. Patients often are brought to our attention, though, because of their spouse or bed partner's noticing problems such as snoring or even stopping breathing and often demanding that the the patient have something done and they'll contact their primary care and be referred.
3: Makes sense. Yeah. They're like, your snoring is bothering me. Go get this taken care of, please. (laughs) (laughs) So Dr. White, you are taking virtual care appointments right now, right? How does that work? What can patients expect from a virtual care visit with you?
2: Right now, The patients we're seeing are already in the system. They have a MyChart connection already. Then they can download Zoom. And then they are sort of assisted through the process by the office. They will have an appointment time. They sign in, connect to Zoom, and uh, we have an interaction with video and audio. There obviously are some limitations in that, although with sleep, can really, I think, deal fairly well with most of the sleep problems with a video visit.
1: Are the sleep studies being affected right now or, or delayed?
2: Well, we had to delay quite a while. We've been reopening. We've been doing some home studies throughout much of this. There are now relatively low-cost devices for sleep study that you could send to the patient. They could do the test and then be discarded. You know, some of the Other devices, though, have to come back. Those are thoroughly cleaned, and then they're set aside for a waiting time, as suggested by the CDC and by the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. Starting next week, we're going to be resuming on a limited basis, at least, from in-lab studies with pre-screening of patients. They'll have to undergo COVID screening before they're allowed to come in, and then of course, do temperature checks, system review as they arrive, and then the techs will be doing everything with the appropriate personal protective equipment, and we will not be doing any um, positive airway pressure studies in the lab, though for now, that has been identified as a risk factor in spreading, so it'll only be diagnostic studies.
3: So the sleep center is really, it's designed to help people discover the cause of their sleeplessness and figure out what the most effective treatment options are. But their first trip to the sleep center is typically a consultation. What do those consultations entail and what do they, what can they expect?
2: Well, they come in or as I, we were saying, if it's a virtual visit, they, we connect with audiovisual, go over their history, you know, what their Problem is, even on um, the virtual visit, so you can do a limited physical exam, certainly of the oral pharynx, which is important in some sleep disorders. And then we decide if they need to have a study or if there's something such as insomnia, what would be the best approach to treatment?
1: What's the source of sleep difficulties?
2: most common thing we probably see is sleep apnea, which a lot of the people are overweight. Second most common thing we see are insomnia, where people have stress or sort of maladaptive uh, response to stress and have problems sleeping. Those would be the most common things. In the general population, a lot of the sleep difficulties are just not getting enough sleep.
1: Sure, and some stress, too, especially with covid and um just worrying about how life is affected and finances and medical concerns,
2: oh, absolutely. You know there's a lot of lot of increasing stress in this time, and stress people don't
3: sleep long. Well. We live in a busy culture, and we're constantly trying to fit more into the hours we allot. And adequate sleep just becomes more of a luxury than a necessity. For the listener who tuned in today wondering if lack of sleep is disrupting their life, what advice can you give?
2: Well, you know, they have to make it a a priority. Sure. There are three main things that you can do non-medication related to help your sleep, which is, or help your life, which is one, exercise on a regular basis, two, watch what you eat or eat appropriately, and three, you get plenty of sleep.
3: So you treat patients as young as 13. Is that right? Correct. If
2: they're less than 18, they would need to have a parent with them if they have a study, but we do see some younger patients.
3: Are we seeing a prevalence in sleep concerns in those younger patients with the increased use of devices? I think we know sleep is crucial in the growth and development of their bodies. But can you tell us more specifically about the relationship between development and sleep?
2: Well, you know, one of the things that we discovered in recent years is that a lot of human growth hormone, which is obviously important in growth and development, is released during slow-wave sleep so that, that young people need to get adequate sleep so they can grow properly. One of the things that I think we talked previously was, there's was a study at a meeting last year that in Texas on about, in their study, almost 40% of the teenagers that they polled were on the internet continuously. They go to bed with their devices and they're texting or Instagramming with their friends all night long.
1: There's four specific disorders that we'll jump into, insomnia, restless leg syndrome, sleep apnea, and narcolepsy. Insomnia is categorized by the inability to sleep, trouble falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking too early. As we prepared for the discussion, we understand that many people will experience this at one point in their life. When does it become a concern?
2: Well, basically, it just can persist. You know, a lot of people have situational insomnia, go through a very stressful period, maybe a few weeks, but... Fifteen to twenty percent people may experience that at some time, but if you know it persists after that, goes on as long as three months, then obviously it's a much more serious problem.
1: At that point, would you classify it as chronic? Yes. Okay, and that could be, like you said, from a situational, um, maybe the death of a loved one, a divorce, or some sort of stressful, traumatic experience in their life.
2: Oh, sure. People who specialize in insomnia talk about the predisposing, precipitating, and perpetuating factors, which predisposing, and sometimes it's just a personality trait that, you know, people just may be a little more high-strung. Precipitating is, you know, an acute event that's causing you to have stress, causing you to have insomnia, and perpetuating is, you know, how you respond to that, and then if you have a sort of maladaptive response, you know it it can persist for years. It's not uncommon to see people come in claiming that they hadn't slept well in the past twenty years or so.
1: What determines what type of insomnia you would classify it? I understand that there's primary versus secondary and acute
2: versus well, it, chronic. It's mostly the history, you know, and trying to find out, you know, is there a specific event that's triggered this? You know, as you said. A, death of a loved one or a divorce or something on that order.
3: Okay. And can we move now to restless leg syndrome? Who is at risk and most likely to be affected?
2: Well, the studies are, have shown that you know, a lot of people have iron deficiency and of course, younger women have frequently iron deficiency and that can be a factor in their restless legs if they can correct their iron deficiency, often their restless legs get better. <laughs> People have chronic kidney disease often have problems with restless legs. Those are some of the most at risk, although there are a lot of males with restless legs and people who are older.
3: Do you typically see this in pregnant women? I experienced it in both of my pregnancies, especially toward the end.
2: Absolutely. With the changes in iron stores with pregnancy, you know, that can be a risk factor.
1: So, given that, is this a temporary condition or one that's corrected if the iron is restored via food or a supplement?
2: It can often be just temporary, and then it also seems that you know some people just get better and t- with time, even if they require medications besides iron supplement to control it, they can sometimes go off of that later on.
1: We'll be right back. If you need specialized diagnostic testing and help with a sleep disorder, you can count on the compassionate and skilled team at the sleep centers at Baptist Health to be with you every step of the way. Our staff includes board certified sleep physicians who keep up to date on the most current treatment options in order to prescribe what is best for each individual patient. From helping you prepare for tests, listening carefully to your questions, and working with you to provide a personalized treatment plan, you'll appreciate our care, attention, and support. Find a sleep medicine provider near you by visiting baptisthealth.com provider. And we're back with our discussion with Dr.
3: John White regarding common sleep disorders. So sleep apnea is a serious concern for many. It's where someone can experience a momentary lapse in breathing due to the throat relaxing too much during sleep, thereby blocking the airway. And the troubling thing is that many people don't even know that they're doing it. Isn't that right?
2: Oh, that's absolutely correct. You know, the most people that come in who have a history of uh, snoring and sleep apnea, you know, i say that they don't really know that they snore, that their spouse has been telling them, and they don't aren't really aware that they're awakening gasping for breath or, or should say arousing gasping for breath, but their spouse can tell them that too. Mm-hmm. But it can be you know, a very serious problem when they do have an apneic event, drops their oxygen level, puts a strain on their system, contributes to high blood pressure, and can contribute to arrhythmias.
1: What are the primary forms of sleep apnea? And in addition to snoring, what are some of the other symptoms to be on the lookout for?
2: For the obstructive sleep apnea, they can have, as we said, a lot of problems difficult to control, high blood pressure, can present with atrial fibrillation, but they can have also just severe sleepiness, which can be a problem that's can be a problem with professional drivers. So we do a lot of screening for truck drivers with sleep apnea, anybody else who operates machinery in a high-risk environment can be a have problems with sleep apnea and, and sleepiness during their work time.
1: What are some of the risk factors and causes of sleep apnea?
2: Well, I think I alluded to earlier, you know, being overweight, that causes some narrowing of the airway in the neck, but trauma to the nose. But often with sports, when people are playing, they break their nose and then they don't really get it fixed and then they'll have a deviated septum and and that just increases the airway resistance, trying to breathe through the nose, that you have to generate a more negative pressure and it increases the collapse of your in your throat so that you have worse problems with sleep disordered breathing in kids, large tonsils, adenoids can cause increased problems too. Can
1: sleep apnea show up later in life if there was an injury to the nose in their youth?
2: Oh, sure. A lot of people that show up, we see as adults that are, said, oh yeah, I broke my nose when I was a kid, and they'll have problems breathing through their nose. It's just never enough problem for them to have it addressed when they're younger. But then as they get older and they possibly gain a little more weight, it becomes more significant, and they can present with sleep apnea at that
3: time. Mm, So it's kind of a compounding effect. Can sleep apnea be cured? Or what are the treatment options and prognosis look like?
2: Well, depends on the cause in part. if, If you have nasal airway problems, you know, surgery on your nasal airway may well correct that. If you have a weight issue contributing to it, if you can correct your weight, either by dieting or surgery, That can be correct the problem, but the most common treatments we have, the standard treatment, would be a positive airway pressure or CPAP device to keep the airway open, allow continued breathing. Milder cases can be addressed with an oral appliance that fits over the teeth while you sleep and pushes your lower jaw forward. There are some newer devices, the hypoglossum or stimulator, which is a surgical. Procedure, they implant a generator on your collarbone with the wire to the muscles that control the, the airway there at the base of the tongue, and they can turn that on at night. Oh, wow. To keep everything open. For central sleep apnea, which is a little bit different problem, which can be seen with people who have congestive heart failure or people who are on chronic narcotics have that central apnea is where the brain's not really sending a signal to the respiratory muscles to take a breath. We generally tried it in the past, again, a positive airway pressure device, but we're now also doing what's called a phrenic nerve stimulator, which is an implanted device to cause the diaphragm to move and take a breath. We're starting development of that at Lab to South Lexington, And we're looking into the uh, hypoglossal nerve stimulator. We haven't gotten quite as far along that process.
3: Well, lastly, let's cover narcolepsy. For the listener who considered him or herself tired all the time and maybe even require naps to function or an afternoon coffee, what characteristics define
0: narcolepsy? Well, narcolepsy is not just being sleepy. I think a lot of people think it's
2: actually how your brain handles the sleep-wake state, and it allows sleep to intrude on the daytime functioning, but it also allows wake to intrude on nighttime, so you don't sleep well either. You can have what are called hypnagogic hallucinations, which when you're first going to sleep, you're sort of in this state where you're not really sure if you're dreaming or if it's reality. And also sometimes you have, Sleep paralysis, where when you're first waking up or first going to sleep, you're sort of a- awake but think you, or you can't move. Brain's not able to send the signals to the muscles. Some people with narcolepsy also have the condition cataplexy, where they sort of lose control of their muscles and then become very emotional and can, if severe enough, can cause them to fall down at times.
1: Oh, wow. That's rather serious. When and how does it present itself, and how is this diagnosed?
2: Most tend to be presenting within late teens, early 20s, maybe as much as 30s or so, because I think in part because we sort of overlook when they're teenagers and they're sleeping excessively during the day, we don't think much about it. But, you know, when it becomes a problem when they're starting to go out in the workforce or things like that, it's comes more of a problem, and they'll present at that time. For diagnosis, That you have an overnight sleep study, and then you keep them around the next day, uh, assuming that the overnight study is normal, and then see if they fall asleep more readily on the nap study. You have five separate nap studies and see if they fall asleep on that, and particularly if they go into REM sleep. On two of those would be strong evidence for diagnosis of narcolepsy. There are also some tests now to measure some of the chemical levels in three spinal fluid, the fluid around the brain. Obviously, it would require a lumbar puncture to get that, and so it's not really very clinically used at this point. But there are other confirmatory tests. So
3: that's interesting. Do we typically not enter REM sleep during a nap?
2: Most people don't. You know, it's relatively short. Most people don't go into REM sleep until about 90 minutes into their sleep time. So at night, if you're going to sleep, it's not for 90 minutes. If you're on a 20-minute nap, you usually don't go into REM sleep.
3: What happens in REM sleep for those who aren't maybe as familiar with that term?
2: Sleep experts talk about there being three stages of being. Wake, non-REM sleep, and REM sleep. But in REM sleep, it's actually your brain can be fairly active, but there is a disconnect between the thinking, acting, dreaming parts of the brain and the motor part. And the brain can be fairly active at those times, but the REM is for rapid eye movements because that's what's seen on the, on your sleep study on the tracings from the eyes mm-hmm. to shows them darting back and forth.
1: So obviously, there's a variety of disorders one could suffer from, and these are just four of the most common, or more common ones, rather. But another extremely common sleep issue facing many Americans, one that most people don't even recognize as an issue, is sleep
3: deprivation. We want to touch on that. Yeah. I think the image that immediately comes to mind is a young mom at night up with their infant or a college student who's pulling an all-nighter to finish that research paper. Yeah. But in reality... Most of us aren't getting the recommended hours of sleep per night. How much sleep should we be getting, and what are the negative effects we see if we don't?
2: Well, you know, for most young adults, it should be seven to eight hours or so. But, you know, long-term, increased stress, increasing cortisol and other stress mediators can cause things like high blood pressure, Hmm. can cause Changes in, you know, sort of cognitive function too, if you're not sleep deprived. And sleep's important for a sort of consolidation of mm-hmm. memories and the consolidation of learning. And so, you know, staying up all night in the office to study for that big exam may or may not be the most helpful thing to do. Interesting. You may be better getting some sleep.
1: Hmm. Many people turn to self-medicating to get the sleep that they need. We're seeing products like CBD oil, melatonin, and Ambien being utilized for sleep assistance. Are these safe alternatives?
2: I think melatonin is fairly safe. I think the, the jury is still out on CBD. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we have enough studies to confirm. Ambien was fairly effective in getting sleep, but our goal should be you sleeping well without medication, if we can, rather than with. Sure. And certainly any of the benzodiazepines, which are most of the typical sleep-promoting medications are, can have long-term dependency issues and side effects with withdrawal. So it's, it's best to try to avoid those if you can.
1: Is there anything else that you recommend? Any supplements, natural supplements, like lavender oil or any... Like a chamomile tea that you've noticed that your patients benefit from
2: melatonin is probably the the only supplement I recommend regularly. Now I think that there are certain things you might want to consider, non medication wise, such as uh, relaxation techniques. There's I do prescribe sometimes a yoga, which is yoga nidra, which is a meditative type yoga, and you can. Go on YouTube, there are multiple different ones that are freely available, and sort of pick the teacher's voice that you find most um, helpful and most soothing. In trying to get to sleep, probably better to get the regular rise time in the morning, the regular bedtime at night. Your brain really likes to be on a regular schedule. Mm -hmm. Light exposure early in the day is important, setting the brain's internal clock so it knows when it's time to go to sleep at night. And exercise or even just walking or activity in general is important so your body's tired at night and then get off your screens at least an hour ahead of time.
3: That's a big one.
2: Ahead of the time that you want to fall asleep. That's a problem for a lot of people now.
3: It yeah.
1: is staying off. We, we do recognize we're both in the marketing department and see a lot of traffic to our website and social media overnight.
3: So how could someone distinguish then between something that's just a minor temporary sleep disruption that they could use these coping techniques to treat at home versus a true sleep disorder for which they need to seek care?
2: I think it's part of how chronic it is. You know, how long are they willing to try to work on their solution themselves? And I, I would encourage them to, you know, try to get the solution themselves. But if they don't on weeks and weeks, then I would talk to your primary care doctor or if they think that uh, they need further uh, evaluation, we'd be happy to see them.
3: I think it's one of those things that it's very easy to write off as, you know, I have a little, a young baby and this is just life now, or I'll get through this one day, that kind of thing. So do you recommend that your patients keep a sleep diary or a journal of their sleep disruptions?
2: Well... It's a technique that we frequently use for patients who are being seen okay. but I don't think you want to become so vigilant of your sleep that you're you know, you're fixated on it. You wanna relax, you don't wanna yeah. stress out over it.
3: That makes sense. Yeah. And I've
1: noticed on your phone that there's a few apps that track your sleep too and, and provide you with a report of the quality of sleep in addition to offering white noise and gentle soothing sounds that can assist as well?
2: Correct. There there are lots of new apps out there to help people to sleep. Some of the consumer wearables, we don't really know what they're measuring when they say, is it light sleep or deep sleep? I think they probably do have some validity as far as tracking if it... You know, this week it shows you're sleeping pretty well, and next week you're not, then there's probably something significant that they're measuring if that's the way you've been feeling.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. I think just the amount of saturation in the market right now on, you know, Fitbits and Apple Watches and meditation apps and those types of things just speaks to what a significant issue this is for most, for a lot of people out there. Absolutely. Dr. White, what kind of
1: mattress do you recommend? And sleeping <laughs> temperature, or like a sleeping environment.
2: I recommend, I recommend the one that you find comfortable. I think it, there's a lot of variability in that. We've had some in the sleep lab that we had tempur pedic before. Okay. Yeah, sure. And I sleep on a Tempur-Pedic. I don't hate to give name brands in, in this discussion, but I think it's quite comfortable. You know, We've had patients come in and they thought it was awful. We currently have and so I won't give another name out there, but it's one you can adjust the firmness in. And they tend to like that, although some patients don't like that. I think that's awfully individual preference determined and, and then just go find the one you like.
3: That makes sense. It's highly subjective. Like some people love down pillows and other people think they're extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. What would you say though is an ideal sleeping environment about sleep hygiene?
2: Well, you want it dark and quiet. That's a, a lot of problem with people, you know, they want to go to bed with their T V on. Yeah. Or things like that. But temperature most people tend to like it a little bit cooler mm-hmm. at night than the rest of the time. I find that too. But there's some people like that, there's a, People who swear by their weighted blankets. Mm -hmm. Yes. um, I think an important thing is to find what's comfortable for you and go with that. If you like it, 60 degrees and with a weighted blanket, then fine.
3: Well, thank you for joining us, Dr. White. If folks listening today want to get in touch with you, how can they reach your office?
2: Just Baptist Health Lexington Sleep Clinic. It's uh, 260-4300.
3: Perfect. We appreciate your time. Thanks again.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Health Talks Now. Staying healthy is a lifelong commitment, and Baptist Health can provide the support you need to lower your risks, improve your quality of life, and protect your long-term health. Visit baptisthealth.com to hear our other podcasts, learn about our services, and find more tips to help you stay a step ahead of your health. Baptist Health. Be a healthier you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as medical advice. The content in this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast is not designed to replace a physician's medical assessment and medical judgment. Always seek the advice of your physician with any questions or concerns you may have related to your personal health or regarding specific medical conditions. To find a Baptist Health provider, please visit baptisthealth.com.